Hello and welcome to The Writer's Mindset with me, Christina Adams. And me, Ellie Betts. Each week we're here to bring you the strategies and advice that you need to achieve your writing goals. This week I decided to be generous and let Christina out of the dungeon. And we are talking to Kenny McKay about what every author website needs and does not need. Like a blog. Don't start. But, but come no, on. No, no, come on. No. Fine. <laughs> oh dear. Kenny McKay is the host of the Author Your Dream podcast, a show he launched in March of 2020. As an author himself, he knows what it's like to have no idea what you're doing and answers the questions many aspiring authors are asking. Kenny lives in the UK with his wife and three kids. I sat down with him to talk about how to choose a domain name, what to look for in a website host, and the pages every author website needs. And doesn't need. Like a blog. Go on, I'll let you do it. Dead or neglected blogs look worse than not having one. And authors often put pressure on themselves about what to blog about because they feel like they need to have a blog. But you don't need to have a blog. You don't need to do anything. People just need to know where to find your books. That's basically it. So if you don't know what to blog about, just don't do it. I mean, as your rants go, that was remarkably restrained. Thanks. Tune in to my interview with Kenny on his Author Your Dreams podcast for the full rant. I guess I'll put the link in the show notes. Shout out to Jeff White, the newest member of our Patreon crew. Thank you so much for being a part of our community. The big thanks to Jeff and all our other patrons for your support. We couldn't do this without you. As a patron, you'll get early access to episodes, bonus content, and our undying gratitude for supporting all the hard work that goes into making these episodes to inspire and motivate you. And when we hit 15 patrons, we'll be setting up a Discord where you can connect with other writers Get daily accountability. No, no. Daily? Yep. Daily? Daily. We've got to get that dopamine fix in. Mm-hmm. As well as a place to get advice, troubleshoot, and talk about your mindset, craft, and business-related issues. It's going to be a unique place for writers to hang out and really help each other. That sounds pretty amazing. Where can we go to find out more? To find out more, visit patreon.com forward slash writers mindset. Since I am out of my dungeon, I'm finally free and I can speak and breathe again. We came back to our questions. So I want to know, Ellie, what is the number one thing that makes a difference to your productivity levels or kind of just how you feel generally, your mindset up here, you know? I would say it, it's two regular things, if that's allowed. I, I, hey, I'm that's cheating. I said allowed. one thing. Tough, tough. Where is this a diplomacy? I say I'm having two, but they they work together. So the first one is consistency, which doesn't necessarily mean doing a million things every day. It means doing something every day and therefore just getting something done every day, even if it's a little something. That's my second one. Getting a little something done every day helps too. So even on the days where I feel particularly shit and I really don't want to do anything, even if I just get something small done, like read a couple of pages of the book that I need to read, like the, the craft book, or, you know, do the actual laundry or something small. If I do that on the days where I feel shit, that encourages me to keep going on the days where I feel less shit. All right, I'll let you off. And Millie is beating the shit out of Hot Dog in the background. So if you hear any weird noises, that's what it is. To be fair, Hot Dog brought it on himself. Oh, no, she just stopped as I said that. <laughs> What about you? What would you say is the number one thing that makes a difference to your productivity levels and mindset? So I want to preface this by saying I hate being this person. (laughs) And this is something that I noticed while I was ill or just after I was kind of starting to feel a bit better. If you listen to last week's episode where we interviewed Laurie Nola, I talked about the exercise I'd been doing, the boxing stuff that I'd achieved. I was really excited. And then like, what was it, a week and a half after that? I got throat infection and I was ill for like two or three weeks. I couldn't fucking speak. I couldn't breathe. The audacity. I know. How very dare I be ill when you're ill every month. I'm ill twice a year. I'm ill (laughs) every day. Okay. (laughs) Fair point. Yeah. And 
I was making like such good progress on my physical health. And then this just really fucked me over basically. And I, it was earliest this week, actually, I was like really scatterbrained and I couldn't concentrate. And I don't remember if I've actually made the diseased hamsters reference on the podcast before. Um, I can't remember how or not Ellie's nodding at me, but I don't remember. Um, but that's what it felt like. It felt like the diseased hamsters were scurrying around my brain and starting to multiply again. And it was a little bit scary because I had quite a lot to do. And I was starting to exercise again. I was doing little bits of yoga. And then what did I do? Oh, I did some weights. I did some weights because I like weights. And I checked my heart rate at the end and it was about... Well, it was a lot higher than what my heart rate normally is. Let's go with that. It was about the peak of what my heart can reach. And I didn't, I hadn't intended to push myself that far when doing weights, but I just happened to enjoy it. So I kept going, you know, you enjoy something, you keep going. That's generally how it does until you collapse. Maybe not that far. Don't do that. You shouldn't collapse after exercise. Be a bit breathless. Yeah. Anyway, after that, I had my most productive day for the whole of fucking February. And I sat down and thought to myself at the end of the day, what have I done differently? And then it, clicked i read a book the end of last year called adhd 2.0 and it talks about exercise and what it does for the brain and basically what it does is it releases a protein which they describe as miracle growth for the brain because it creates a place for the brain to grow new neurons correct connectors and positive pathways and it can also help with the faulty dopamine machinery we'll call it that goes with being with having ADHD and I really do hate being this person I hate being the exercise 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 person but in a study 65% of people found that 20 minutes of exercise significantly improved their planning and organization skills that's 20 minutes a day yeah that is from one episode of exercise for that day of 20 to 30 minutes. And over time, it builds up in your system so that you can get more shit done, which is why I had a really good January. And then I started to go downhill because I couldn't do anything when I had a viral throat infection, then a bacterial throat infection, and then a fucking cold because I couldn't breathe. So it's awfully hard to get your um, heart rate up when you can't breathe. And the thing is as well, is that it has to be, for this to work, it has to be vigorous exercise, not moderate exercise because it is recommended 150 minutes of moderate exercise a week for people for health benefits or 75 minutes of vigorous exercise. And it does have to be that vigorous exercise that's very, very uncomfortable for it to make that big of a difference. And I despise cardio. It's hard for me to put into words how much I despise cardio. I don't really like walking the dog even. Like I have a dog to get me out of the house. That's one of the main reasons we got a dog. Although how we ended up with a dog that just wants to sit on the sofa all day is, I don't fucking know. But dog walks don't make a difference because I was still walking the dog while I was out. It didn't make a difference other than I needed my inhaler because I was walking around the cold. But doing the weights and doing the cycling, indoor cycling, remember I'm not an, in, an outdoors person, it does make a difference to how much shit I can get done. And on those days where the disease hamsters are particularly loud and aggressive but then towards the end of this month I couldn't do as much for the aforementioned reasons of well not being able to breathe not being able to breathe is quite a large issue yeah it was and it's like it it wasn't so much my asthma flared up it was just like I say throat infection then cold it's always fun as a side note I just heard a couple of squeaks is that Millie oh yeah yeah she's uh now got Eunice which is a sheep if anyone wondered that's interesting. I mean, you've almost persuaded me to start exercising, exercising on a regular basis. I didn't start. No, I kind of did start actually exercising so that I could concentrate better now that I said that. Um, I remember you starting and I don't think it was January where you were talking about how amazing it was and how different you felt. And I don't know if that was because at that point I'd been doing it regularly for a while. Like I did it regularly in September, then I was ill in November. And then I didn't do much over Christmas because of like being away and stuff. And after Christmas, I was feeling a bit blah. So I think that's probably why I started getting into the habit again. But I, I remember you talking about how much of a difference it made. So it's obviously worthwhile. Yeah. 
and it like I say, I do not like being the exercise person. I do not like it. But it is the thing that helps me the most when it comes to getting anything done and just generally feeling more human. Because as someone with chronic health issues, I can handle chronic pain and I can handle chronic fatigue. I cannot handle it when I can't think straight because my brain is my job. My brain is what pays the bills, you know? Absolutely. And that's almost the hardest thing to lose, I think. If you yeah. hurt, if you injure yourself physically or a lot, even like you say, in chronic pain, if it feels more tangible when your brain just won't get into gear and you can't get it to think straight. It feels you feel more helpless, I think. Yeah. And it is scary. I have had those days where the brain fog is so thick. I can barely remember my boyfriend's name. I've forgotten my birthday. I've had those really, really scary times where the brain fog has been that bad. And I want to do some more research on brain fog and how to work, not work with it or work against it, how to get through it and clear it. Because I know it can be part of fibro. I know it can be part of ADHD. It can be part of chronic fatigue syndrome. It can be part of stress and anxiety and depression. And I have a very large cocktail of things that can make it worse. So the more things I can put into play to make it better, potentially the better chance I've got. I feel like this very serious conversation is ruined by the squeaky toy in the background. It's now llama, by the way. It's also going to be ruined by me calling the cocktail the big K. What cocktail? Oh, cocktail you did not just... Oh, my God. You, <laughs> you just described all your issues as a cocktail. Frankly, that's not a cocktail I would order. Um, but no, I, I wouldn't a... recommend it. It tastes like shit. <laughs> Tastes like shit and you'll never sleep properly again. <laughs> yeah, no, no, sure. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, this has been a particularly sweary intro so far, which I am always a fan of. <laughs> but shall we go see what you got up to discussing with Kenny? Yes, let's go to all the websites. With me today is Kenny McKay. Welcome to The Writer's Mindset. Oh, thank you so much for having me on the show. It's uh, great to be here. And I'm uh, starting to get a little used to being on the opposite end of the podcasting mic. So <laughs> thanks for having me. It's a weird switch between the two sometimes, isn't it? <laughs> it is. So for our listeners who haven't heard of you, can you just tell them a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah. Uh, so by day, I am a youth worker. Um, I work for a church. I've been in the UK for, uh, well, since 2010. Uh, and then I've always had a dream to write a book. So I started writing my first book, which is a Christian nonfiction. And it took me three years to get through that book. Uh, mostly, be, well, I'm a big procrastinator. As you know, I, my wife and I have a joke. So I'm working on a, my first fiction book. And she's like, oh, how's the book coming? I'm like, oh, it's practically writing itself which means, you know, nothing's happening. <laughs> so I'm a big procrastinator, but I also didn't know what I was doing. So I spent hundreds of hours listening to podcasts, reading blogs, reading books. And um, yeah, there's things like Joanna Penn from the Creative Pen Podcast. She had excellent information, fantastic guests, but I felt where I was that she was like 26 books. She had like six figure income. I'm like, well, I mean, that's not me. I couldn't see myself in that way. So I finished the book, published it. And I was like, you know, I want to help other people who are in that position, who have that dream to write a book, to publish a book. And I want to ask the questions and answer those questions that I was asking that I wanted to know, kind of put it in one place so they didn't have to go everywhere to find and spend hundreds of hours. Uh, so now I am the host of the Author Your Dream podcast. Um, it just released a book of the same name. Uh, and yeah, so that's me and, and who I am and what I do. Awesome. I love that because I can totally understand that whole, how can this person who's published a gazillion books understand where I'm coming from? Because it does feel like if they started way earlier than you, you know, it is different starting out now compared to, you know, five years ago when I started, 10 years ago when Joanna Penn started or however long it was. The, the industry changes so fast. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And you're when you the further on you get, you have more knowledge on a subject. So you're not asking it from the place of knowing nothing. You're asking the questions from a place of, you know what, I know something about this topic and can contribute it. Whereas when you're starting out, it's like, uh, how do I find an editor? I have no idea. What do I do? 
And that's how I like when I do my podcast and interview my guests, that's how I do every question comes from that perspective of I know nothing. You know, whereas I may know something and can contribute later on, I'm never, I guess, lining up the question so that we can have a, a really, you know, good discourse, but a, you know, what's this, what's the answer kind of way. Yeah, I totally get that. We try and do that as much as possible as well, because I've done 17 books, but Ellie's done none. And she's working Mm -hmm. on her first one at the moment. So we come from very different perspectives. And I sometimes forget how much I know. And I'll say to Ellie, oh, what about this? And she's like, I don't know what that means. I'm like, oops, (laughs) because I forget how much is in here because it's almost autopilot now. Yeah. And I think you take for granted what people don't know. You know, it's like when you're good at something, you don't think you have to explain the basics of it because you're naturally good at it. So you just automatically assume everybody knows what you know because you're good at it. Yeah. And you think it's really simple because it's something you've been doing for a really long time. But actually, it might not be. I do that with social media management a lot because I've been working in social media for a long time. And then I try and teach people how to use social media and they need it even more basic than I think is basic. Yeah, no, I get that. And you almost feel, or at least for me, I almost feel like, because we're talking about websites today. So when it comes to websites, I almost feel like like it's not 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 worth my time, but that they're not getting uh, what I think they should be getting from me because I have really high expectations of what I deliver. Yeah. Know? So I'm like, oh, this is really simple. This isn't enough. But if they don't know even the very basics, then it is enough. It's what they need at the time. And it's that foundation thing that you got to exactly. build. You don't want to be condescending or patronizing, but at the same time, you've got to meet them at their level of knowledge at the same time. Yes, I love that. I'm going to make a note of that. Meet them (laughs) at their level of knowledge. So as you've said, today we are talking all about websites for authors. So let's go back to basics then. Why are websites really important for authors, regardless of how many books they've published or want to publish? Ah, Yes, I love this question and I'm always going on about it with people and on my podcast. So a author website is important, even if you haven't published yet, because it's your place. Now you can't say, well, I've got, you know, 10,000 followers on Instagram. That's Instagram's place. And if Instagram decides to change the rules on you, or they decide to just shut down, then you've lost all those connections. But if you have an author website and that's your, you know, somebody put it the other day, it was the hub and spoke model. So if your hub is your website and your social media sites are the spokes, then that center point is something that you own as an author. And you can connect with your fans and your followers from that point on um, from there. And you can direct them to your social media sites, but then the social media site should also be directing them back to the main hub. And like, we was, what was it? A couple months ago, Facebook went down for like nine hours and people went nuts because they didn't have connection. They didn't, they couldn't talk to their friends. They couldn't connect with their, their fans. And that's what happens. Stuff happens that you don't have control over. But when you have your own website, you have control over that. That's your place. You own that, you know, and we'll talk about it a bit later, but on that website, you should have a sign up form so you can have your own newsletter so that you can contact them on your terms. And I think that's why it's so important to have your own author website even if you haven't published a book. Yeah, I totally agree. I was talking to Debbie Young about author websites yesterday. And well, not it was kind of like a segue we went on. And she was saying she hosts a lot of like literary events and stuff. And quite a lot of the people who attend are trad published. And most of them don't have websites. They have like one page on the publisher's website. And that is it. Like, how can you, you know, get to know your readers and form those really important relationships if you don't have that platform? No, exactly. And, and there's a thing we, I don't know if we'll go into it very much, but it's um, SEO. You know, so if your name, your website should be ranking for your name. If it's somewhere else, then somebody else is getting that traffic and not you. You know, so if you don't have that website or it's on somebody else's platform, then they're going to be the people who get all the traffic that are looking for you rather than yourself. Yeah. So what would you say the key things are that every author website needs then? Yes. Okay. So you've got your homepage, your about page, a page about your books, and a contact page. And those are the four main that people see. And there's one more that I always like to add because 
people forget about it. It's the privacy policy page. You know, you got to tell people what are you doing with their data? How can they contact you and ask for you to remove them from your list or remove them from their data? So you should have a policy, privacy policy page. And I've got a great resource. It's called Policy Generator. Um, it's you pay for it, but you go and you can put your region of the world in what you're doing on your website. And then I think it's like nine, maybe 19, $19, maybe a little less, uh, but then it generates the exact privacy policy that you need. And that's um, websitepolicies.com. Uh, so those are kind of the key pages. So I think there are five key pages that you need to have. Uh, and then you need to have links that connect your social media. Um, like I was saying earlier, they're your spokes. Social media is a great way to be social. Um, and it gives you a little bit, I guess it's not more flexibility, but it's a different way of connecting with your people. And you need to have a good domain name. And when you're looking at a, a domain name, a lot of what I've seen a lot is people will do their the title of their first series. You know, it's like bellalouise.com. And you get three series, you get three books in the series. That's great. But what happens when you're no longer writing Bella Louise? You know, you're, if you're building it around that one book and you're writing more, then you're going to have to go and you're going to have to kind of redesign your site. You're going to have to get a new domain name. So think about your domain name from the very beginning. Um, a lot of, a lot of it will be your first and last name um, or uh, like Kenny McKay writes or Kenny McKay author. Cause you may find that your name is gone, and that's something that happens a lot because there's just so many websites out there. But try and find something that people can remember. Find something that connects you as an author rather than your books. And you can have a bellalouise.com, but it should redirect to your author website. So those are the, the key components that I think that every website should have. Yeah, I totally agree. I had to go with Christina Adams author because Christina Adams was taken by a photographer. But the weirdly coincidental thing is that my actual not actual name. Yeah. Okay, we'll call it my actual name. Um I have Christinaprofit.com as well, but there's also a Christina Profit photography. <laughs> I, I just found that a really weird coincidence. <laughs> Both names are also photographers in the States. <laughs> Another question off the back of the domain name thing. What do you think um, people should choose out of like .com, .co.uk or whatever their um, country? I can't think of the name of the little .com bill. What's it called? My brain's gone. Um, but should they go for .com regardless of where they're based? What about using stuff like .org or .io, which I know some people probably don't understand who they're specifically designed for? Mm -hmm. Yeah, each I don't have a list in front of me, but each of the, the dot. I can't think of the name either. <laughs> that makes me feel better. <laughs> okay. So like .com is going to be your, the one that people are going to go to automatically. They're going to look for KennyMcKay.com. And if you can purchase that, great. And you can have KennyMcKay.co.uk. If you're in the UK, that, that's fantastic. So I think you consider, you know, where are you based and where is your target audience? So if, if my target audience is in the States, I'm going to do .com rather than .co.uk, but I may buy .co.uk and have it redirect to my .com website so that anybody looking for me in different areas of the world can have that. So, and then like .org is generally used for organizations. Um, and then, so yeah, so there's a whole list and you can Google it and it'll tell you like, what are the different ones for? Uh, but .com, I would say that should be your, your go-to if you can get it. Um, and then if not, like .co. UK is a good one for if you're in the UK, especially. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the only people I really know who use stuff like like .io is tech companies or like mm -hmm. bloggers in the tech industry. So I think it is you need to be mindful of your industry. But you know, we're in the book industry; people autopilot it and just put .com, don't they? Yeah, and I think it goes back to the like having that idea that people don't know what you know, so they're not going to know about .io necessarily. It's not. I mean, it's there, but it, like that, we connected over Audrey.io, but that's a, that's a podcasting connecting kind of website, which fits in with the tech company side of things. Whereas somebody who just loves reading romance, they're not going to know about .io necessarily. I'm not, that's a generalization, but yeah. You know, so you go with what your audience is going to know about. If you're writing tech company or writing about tech books, 
you know, your audience is going to know a little bit more about .io's than somebody who's reading just romance. Yeah, I totally autopiloted it once when typing in Audrey and didput.com rather than .io and it didn't work. <laughs> so I had to go to my emails and find the link to get it to send me to the right place. Because you autopilot it, don't you? You do. Yeah. You don't realize how much you autopilot it. Going back to the actual features on a website then, what are some features or pages you often see on author websites that kind of aren't necessary and are basically just writers making work for themselves and potentially avoiding finishing the book? Um, yeah, one of the things that that I actually it's the biggest one is sliders. Uh, sliders, they were popular at one point, but they have become less popular. And people still use it because they were like, oh, these are really great. You can get, you know, seven images, but the way that we use and access websites has changed, you know, with Facebook, with Instagram, it, it's scrolling, you know, nobody's going to sit there and watch the slider go through seven images. And I, I work with a lot of authors. They're like, I really want a slider. And I'm like, no, you don't, you know, it's dated. It's old. It's not something that's done anymore. And people there, most people will be accessing websites on their phones. So they're going to be scrolling through like they do on Facebook or Instagram and other social media sites like that, not sitting there watching your slider go by. So they're missing. They may see the first two, but they're missing slide three, four, five, six, seven. And, you know, like I said, it was a really good thing at one time, but that time has come and that time has gone. <laughs> so yeah, I I've been sitting here laughing because at one of my whole jobs, we had this slider on the website and it was literally surrounded by content. It wasn't even a big slider. It was a little one. And then there was like um, auto newsfeed here and some social media and some other bits. And everyone was obsessed with this slider. And I'm like, it is not 2005. Can we please like get rid of this really busy homepage? And they never did. They didn't understand the psychology of why it was exhausting for mm. the audience and potentially just watering down the message. And I think that's the really important thing to say. Like you say, people are scrolling, but also the more you put on that homepage, the more you're watering down what you actually want them to do, which should be find out more about you or read your latest book. That should be yeah. it. Yeah. And there's something that it, it plays into what we were just talking about there is it's called above the fold. Um, and you think above the fold because newspapers put all the important information above the fold. And so that's the mindset. Originally, you got to put all the important stuff above that cutoff point. But with mobile phones, there isn't that cutoff point. You know, it goes down quite a ways. And so people, rather than trying to shove everything in the top, spread it out throughout your, your page. People are going to scroll down. You know, it doesn't matter. You know, you go, you can go and sit on Facebook for an hour and just scroll. So people are used to that. So you don't have to just stuff everything in that slider and hope that people are seeing your information and what you're, you're talking about. And I've had a few, few people, because I do websites on the side, it's not my main gig, uh, but I've had a few authors be like, no, I really want it. And I'd explain and be like, okay, I understand, but I really want it. <laughs> I'm like, I mean, you're, you're the client. There's not, not much I can do. So I'll, yeah. I give it to them. And, and I'm like, just try and keep it, you know, three or four you know, don't do 12 or 15 or anything like that crazy. So the slider is, is probably the biggest one that I've seen. Um, the other one that I would say would be uh, having too many drop-down menus uh, because the, was it three clicks is generally the limit that people can handle. I mean, before they start getting irritated. So if you have a drop-down menu, that says, uh, so here are my books on your main menu. Click it, it drops down. You have your individual books. Then you have series. You click the series. It shows all your series. Then you click the series name and it drops over and gives you all the books in that series. That's too many. You know, people are just getting ridiculous. Like, they're like, what is going on? Why are there so many clicks? And you get irritated and you think about how you use in the internet. You know, and if it would irritate you, it's going to irritate other people coming to your site. Um, so those were the, the two really big main ones that I have noticed on some of the websites. I'm curious to know what you think about blogs on author websites, because 
I have seen so many authors get in a mad panic about what to blog about to the point where then their blog is just dead for like two years and it looks like they're not doing anything when actually they're just focusing on the books rather than the content. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think it depends on you and what your goal is as an author. You know, blogs are great for creating content, uh, but you do have to keep it up on a consistent, regular basis. Uh, And that's what brings people back. It's what brings traffic to your site. But if if that's not your goal and you don't have anything to write about or you don't have the time, I think a lot of people in the past have said, oh, everybody's doing a blog. I have to do it. But they've got three kids. They've got a full-time job. They're writing, you know, and they're trying to fit this blogging in, and that suffers. So I think it just depends on your situation um, and what your whole goal as a writer is. Because some people just want to write books, and they just want to get them out there, and they want to have that pride and satisfaction that I've published a book. Some people want to build a brand. And if you're building a brand, having a blog is a great opportunity to engage people with content, to talk about, you know, we're, we're just talking about the tech companies. If you if you write about tech, having a blog and keeping up to date on the current technological advancements and the things that are coming out, excellent for building a brand and for building your authority. Whereas if you just want to publish cozy romance, then not necessarily. If you want to and you have the time and, and the ability to, great. You can use that to connect with people and then you can take that and share it on your social media and spread it out to those spokes. Yeah, I think there can be a place for it. But like you say, you've got to think about your goals. It's actually a little bit mad how many traditionally published authors I've interviewed and worked with who were told by their publisher, set up a blog. And when they said, why, what should I blog about? They didn't know what this author should blog about. They were just telling them that they needed a blog, basically. So this person had no idea why they should blog what SEO was, how to do it basically, or even what to write about. And they weren't given any real direction. And I think that kind of mindset of you need a blog has had a ripple effect into indie authors, into businesses, into everyone thinking everyone needs a blog. Yeah, I'd I'd agree with that. And I think just thinking on this topic, you can be outside the box. It doesn't necessarily have to be a written blog. Video is, you know, Instagram's going video. You got TikTok, you know, it's becoming a big thing. Think about a vlog if you can do that. And the whole goal of marketing is getting people to know who you are and getting people to know your book. You know, and a blog, you can use a blog to bring people into your world. You know, you can bring people in, let them see a little bit about you, see your, you know, that you're a bit quirky and that, you know, you love this, you get. 37 dogs and you know and, and stuff like that you can share so they get to know you on things like a blog or a video blog yeah or i'm gonna try doing more video marketing for my books this year because i just don't want to write it because i spend so much time writing i just want to change your format you know <laughs> famous last words because i might have ended up not doing as many <laughs> as i planned by the time this goes out we'll see when it comes to a website we need a website host So could you just explain what a website host is and what kinds of things authors should look for before they actually invest in one? Yes. So a website host uh, is basically just uh, the place that hosts your website. It allows you to publish your site to the internet. And it's where all your important files and the data for your site are stored. Um, When you're looking for a host, you want to look for something that suits your needs. So if, if you're just a small, you only have one book, book out. You don't need a huge capacity of storage and, and bandwidth. Find something a little smaller. And the, the good ones out there will have different tiers um, for different prices and, a, and you can pick what you need. And uh, then you want to look for one that has really good customer service. Because if you're new to this and you're doing your own site and you something goes wrong, you want somebody to be able to help you and to be able to walk you through it without having to wait two, three weeks or have them be like, because I've, I've dealt with a few uh, in the years past that have said, oh, hey, do this. And it was like super technical. And I was doing it. Luckily, I could understand what they were saying, but I was doing it on behalf of a friend. And I was like, My, if they just sent this to them, they'd have no idea what to do. But you want to look for somebody who 
is going to help you out. Who will say, you know, if you can't do this, you know, we'll give you the steps. We'll show you pictures. We'll help you do it yourself. But if you're having trouble, we'll help you. We'll do it for you. And that's the kind of people that the host that you want to look for. You want to look for one that offers an SSL uh, certificate. And that gives you that little uh, padlock in the corner. It, It makes your site secure. It gives people who are visiting your site that confidence that you've thought of them and you've thought of their data and information and making sure that that's secure. And they will feel more, I guess, yeah, less reluctant to leave. Because <laughs> when I go on one and I see that they don't have that that little lock, I'm like, oh, do I want to stay? Do I want to explore this page? And I either decide to leave or I say, you know what? I'm not giving any information. It's not asking for any information. I'll go. Uh, and you also want to look for one that offers a domain name. There are loads out there that will give you a year's free domain name. Uh, and then it's really good to make sure that that you keep everything together. So that way you're not trying to keep a track of like eight different places. You know, your web, your host is here, your domain is over here, you know, because your domain is going to expire before your host expires. But if it's all in one, they will have that there and you can just do it all at the same time automatically or when it comes up. And a really good one will say like, cause I started out with my domain name on GoDaddy. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to switch over. And I switched to Bluehost, but my domain was still on GoDaddy. And they sent, Hey, just or Bluehost sent a reminder. Hey, just letting you know, your domain name is about to expire. We want you to be aware of this. And that's a really good host letting you know that your domain name somewhere else is going to expire. I haven't heard anything from GoDaddy and I'm not saying anything bad about, about GoDaddy because I've used them in the past and they're, they're pretty good, but I use Bluehost for my website and anything else that I do. And, and they're really great with everything that I just mentioned. Um, and they go above and beyond and say, Hey, just so you know, which I thought I think is a really key point to being a good host. Yeah, definitely. I have a couple of domains on GoDaddy and have actually had emails from them saying stuff's about to expire. So I wonder if they've changed it Mm. or it's like for certain things it happens and certain things it doesn't. I don't know. But just to go back to the SSL certificates, one of my pet peeves is website hosts that charge you extra for them. Oh, yeah. They are free. I really want to emphasize this to anyone who is new to websites. You should never pay for an SSL certificate. Your web host should give them you for free. And if they don't, there is a free service called Let's Encrypt that will give you one that has all the bits and bobs that you need. And again, it's free. It's not like free, but it's free because they want the internet to be more secure. It protects you and it protects your audience. This is one of my massive pet peeves. I don't know if you can tell. <laughs> you hide it well. <laughs> um, are there any hosts that you would recommend them? Would you suggest Bluehost? Are there any others that you've tried? Yeah, so I go with WordPress, uh, and that's where I build my sites because I think they have, um, it's a little bit, it takes a little bit more learning, but they have more, uh, I guess, customization, um, and there's so many themes out there. And with WordPress, it's so widely used that if you're having an issue, somebody somewhere has had that issue. So a quick Google search is all you need and you can figure it out. Um, but, and they, I suggest Bluehost cause that's, that's who I use. I love them. I, I use them. They have great customer service, um, but they're also recommended by WordPress. Um, Dreamhost is another one. Um, and then SiteGuard or SiteGround, sorry, are also the top three that are recommended by WordPress. Yeah. Or I've used Bluehost a long time ago. I haven't tried the others, but I've heard good things. We use Crystal with a K, okay. which is a UK based one um but i've just always had the most amazing customer service from them like they say their customer service is only nine till five and i'll get a reply at like three o'clock on a saturday afternoon sometimes in the middle of the night you know they're just really on the ball and i've always appreciated that yeah i think that's another good thing about uh, like what you're looking for is somebody that they're available yeah and that they are going to actually talk to you not talk down to you but talk to you at your level so you mm-hmm. know what they're actually saying they're not just throwing tech jargon at you what are your thoughts on free website hosts then stuff like wordpress.com blogspot um i can't uh, no, wix it, yeah wix has a free tier doesn't it they things do, like yeah. that how do you feel about those are they 
worth giving a go if you're on a budget or can they be a little bit counterproductive? I think you get what you pay for. Um, and a free website host can, can be unstable um, and you can get some downtime. So that's when your site goes down and, and people can't access it. Um, they also put restriction on your storage because they want you to get that next tier up and they want you to pay a monthly fee like Wix. That's what Wix does is they have, they give you a free amount. I don't know the exact amount, but it's a really small amount and that limits your ability to grow your site and the amount of traffic that can come your way. Um, so yeah, I, I don't use them um, and I don't recommend very often. Um, even if you're on a budget, I think there are things that you know you're going to do and need. And so I think if you say, you know what, let me just start setting aside some money now. You know, so like WordPress posting on Bluehost, I think it's like 50, 50 a year. And whereas Square, Squarespace is um, like 12, 12 a month, I think. And that's like three times more than doing a self-hosting, which is what WordPress is. And so if you know that you're going to be doing something, you just set aside a little bit here, skip a coffee here, you know, don't buy that donut. You know, it, it helps you achieve that, you know, that uh, New Year's resolution, but also puts aside money for things that you know you're going to need in your journey. And my wife and I, we're, we're over here. Um, we work for a church. So I don't know if anybody knows about church work, but you, it's not what you enter to get rich. Uh, and we're what we call missionaries. So we come over and we're supported by people in the States and I couldn't work outside the church and the church couldn't pay me. So we had to learn to like kind of tighten our belt buckles a lot. And that's what we, that's what we do. And that's what I apply to as an author. That's how I apply. I said, okay, I know we're going to need to pay this for the hosting in a year's time. You know, if it's 50, $50 or 50 pound, you put five two fifty a away for, you know, a couple months, five, five, five away for 10 months. That's 50 right there. And that's what two coffees from Costa. <laughs> yeah. It might even be less than that, depending on what your order is. My order is about three pounds 70, I think, but I get a yeah. discount. Cause what do you get a lot? I, <laughs> do you really want to know my obnoxious coffee order? <laughs> <laughs> I think we do. Okay, um, I go more to Starbucks than Costa because Costa uses sugar-free syrup, which I have a vendetta oh. against. But I have a tall one-shot soya vanilla latte. Sometimes I'll have it. Oh, sometimes I do have a decaf. I'm not meant to have caffeine, but that doesn't really stop me. I'm a uh, caramel latte guy. Nice. And they do. They do use the sugar-free. Uh, there's something nuts. like, I remember when they changed it and i could just taste the difference and i was like what the hell is this this used to be nicer <laughs> than starbucks and now it just tastes artificial there's no other way of describing it <laughs> that's a rant for another day anyway if an author is on a budget where would you recommend they spend their money on their website and where should they save their money okay i would say spend time i mean i guess this isn't i i took this because you sent me the question before so I took it a little bit more, uh, I guess, uh, not liberal, but wider than just money. So spend time, um, spend that time figuring out exactly what you want and you need from your website. And what is it that, what are your pages? What is the content that's going on your pages? Um, and I actually have a, I have a, um, my website, it's an, a website, author website guide, which walks you through that. And you ask these questions. And I, the first thing I have people do is spend time looking at author websites that they like, that they don't like. And you pick three that you like and three that you don't like. And then you write down, this is why I like this site. These are the features. These are the things that I absolutely love. This is what I don't like. And that gives you a feel for what you like and what you want and your design aesthetic. Um, it gives you an idea of things that you may not have thought about. So like, oh, I love that this author did that. Because you know, a lot of times authors will just put their their books as book, 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 like one individually. Uh, and, but I've seen ones that have done it on a slider and I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And, and in some cases for some authors that would work really well. Uh, so spend time investing in looking at your website and that, that will save you a lot of frustration and a lot of heartache. And if you're working with somebody, you know, the hardest thing as a 
somebody who works with authors on websites is them not knowing what they want. They're like, I just want an author website. I was like, okay, that's great. It's really important. That's a good starting point. What do you like for colors? What are your features? What are that? And if you have all that, it's going to save you time with that person who is more than likely going to charge for that time. So it'll save you time and money there. Um, but I also think uh, you can save on author photos. And I don't mean just go and take selfies, but have somebody take pictures of you and pick the best one. It's a great way to engage your followers. Say, hey, I'm picking an author photo. Here are my top three. Which one do you like? And that's getting your followers involved saying, oh, I like I like number two. I like number three. And then pick and use that. Um, maybe that there's a group, a photography group in your area who you can reach out to and say, hey, I'm an author. I'm looking for a photo. Is anybody interested? And be willing to pay and compensate that person for their time and the talent that you don't have. Uh, but you're probably not going to be spending you know, four or 500 on somebody who is, isn't a professional. Um, another thing that I, that I was thinking when I was thinking about this question was you could go to your local high school, you know, talk to the art teacher and say, Hey, is there, is there a student who's really into photography who could use building up of their portfolio? You know, this is what I'm looking for. And you may be able to connect you that way. And it may work in uh, like in America, it would probably work a little bit better than over here in the UK, but uh, just with the child protection and safeguarding stuff, but you know, get creative and, and look outside of just taking that selfie. Um, and then the, another one would be to look for that host that does offer that free SSL um, and then that free domain name for, cause it'll often be just for the first year. Um, but you can also look for a website host at times when they're on sale. So like there are certain times of a year. So oftentimes it'll be uh, New Year's. They'll have a great sale. Um, in America, July 4th, they'll, they may have a sale. Now look at those points in the year where a natural sale would come along and the, you could get it for half the price for the first year. And then you can say, okay, this is what it's going to be in a year from now or two years or whatever the, the contract is. Then you can set aside the money that you need to save up for paying full price. Something that I've noticed more and more website hosts do is offer specific WordPress hosting as well. So you don't need to worry about the kind of general maintenance of it. And I sometimes find that that's cheaper as well. Like I've seen some offer WordPress hosting for like one pound a month, three pounds mm. a month. You know, it's really not very much. And it's enough for what most authors are probably going to need until they're probably about 20 books in, if not more. Yeah. Yeah. And like that's just doing research and looking, you know, again, spending time. <laughs> To, yeah. to do your research and finding the best deal and the best place for you. Yeah. And if you are stuck, I think asking for help on like Twitter or in author Facebook groups can be really good because people will be able to recommend things. And sometimes they've got affiliate codes that will also get you a discount. So focusing on the website content or the design of the website, shall we say itself, what are some key design features other than sliders? that authors should keep in mind when putting their website together? Okay. Um, so I've got five of the big ones and we've talked a little bit about your site structure, but think about your the structure of your site. How is it going to flow? How are people going to get there? Because you want them to be able to easily get to where they're going or else they're just going to go and not come back. And that's not what you want. So you're going to think about how your site is going to go. So you got your homepage, your about page, your uh, so your homepage, about page, contact page, and a book page. And those are your four main ones that people are going to consistently visit. You know, so think about how you want to set that up and how you want people to, to interact. And you know, as you go, you can add pages. You, know, you say, you know what, I want, I want to add a blog. You can do that later on, but that's your, your main basic. So consider that structure. Um, and if you're thinking of possibly doing a blog, but maybe later, add that into your structure and into your plan. Um, the next one would be font and color. And so this is all about your branding and that's keeping your font consistent and easy to read. Uh, I once worked with a client who absolutely loved a beautiful script font. And we, she was like, oh, I'm, I'm just going to load it up because she had a little bit of website knowledge, but enough to get in trouble. So I had to go through, I'm like, okay, this is great. It's beautiful, but it's really hard to read. So you have to think that, even just because you are loving it and you want this font, 
you're not your target audience. Your target audience is everybody who is going to come to your site. It's the people who, so are they going to be easy to read? Is it accessible for people who have um, eye, eye problems, problem, problem seeing? Is it something that they're going to be able to easily be able to read? Or are they just going to be like, oh, this is a mess and leave? And then you want your colors to be consistent. You want about four or five colors that you just repeat throughout your site. And you can repeat that throughout your site, but you can also repeat them in your social media. And that's all playing into your brand, which I'm not an expert at. <laughs> um, also, high quality photos. I've seen some really terrible, terrible, terrible photos. Blurry. You can tell that they're a selfie. You can tell that they were taken with a camera from 2005. And they just thought that this was the best photo of them. And you're just like, oh. And when you do it, if you go onto a site and you see that and you're like, oh, oh, that's terrible. And then you do it on your own site because, oh, it's the best photo of me. Then people are going to have the same reaction that you had at another place. So have a high quality photo, um, have a sign up form that I, I mentioned this earlier. You know, even if you don't have a book out yet, you want to get people onto your mailing list. You want to be able to communicate them on your own terms. You want to be able to share when some book updates, you want to share with them when your book is live and when, when it's being published. You know, so a find up, uh, sign up form and finally a way to connect with you, you know, that is easy for that, for people. So if you are like, oh, I want people to send me an email, but then you bury your email and people are like, oh, how can I find this? Like things that will do this are like Amazon. Amazon hides their contact information really well. So you just have to like go through and you spend like 20 minutes and you're angry. You are so mad. You finally get that email and you're like, I can't believe this. And you know, you're yelling at them. So you don't, you don't want to make that difficult for people to get in contact with you because one, you're a human being and you want to connect with other human beings and being able to contact you. And that can be through email that can be through Facebook or Instagram. So you want to have ways for people to connect with you and to easily access you. Uh, so those are my top five for key features. What about backgrounds? I have thoughts on backgrounds on websites, but I'm interested to know what your thoughts are, because I know some people like tiled images, for example, or busy backgrounds. Like if mm. I were to have a dog tooth background, for example, I really like that idea, but I know that it would give a lot of people eye strain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's you. You just hit the nail on the head right there is that, you know, it may look nice, but how does it play on the eye? Is it going to distract people? Is it going to make your fonts difficult to read? You know, if you have a difficult font and then you throw in a loud background, people are going to be like, what, what is going on? And they're going to leave. So I, I think if they are subtle, then great, use them. But if they're really busy and they're really loud and they're distracting and they're not, then you're not getting to the point of your website, which is to connect with people. You know, you're putting people off and they're going to scroll. And I like solid colors. And I think it depends on your genre. So I work with a, a children's author in Manchester and he has really bright, he's got a background, like solid color. So we alternated different colors. It's like oranges and greens and blues, but that fits his genre. He's a children's book author and he wanted it to be fun. He wanted it to be bright and colorful. And so he did it in a, a classy way. And we just didn't put like red, blue, green, yellow, purple. You know, it wasn't just, you know, the rainbow. It was like, we have a color and then we have a blank white space with a little bit of stuff in it. And then we have another color and then another blank space, which breaks up the color, still makes it colorful, still makes it, you know, fun and exciting for, for kids, but kids aren't going to be the main person visiting the site. So you want it to be fun for kids. And we've got some stuff on there for them, but the parents are the ones who are going to go in and they're going to be like, you know what? I like this. Let's buy. Yeah. And busy websites also, they do look dated now because you look at most design, it's skewing more and more towards simplicity. Even book covers, which are traditionally very busy are getting more and more simple because again, it's making it easier on people's eyes because there's so much going on and everyone is looking at screens so much that the easier you make it for them, the more likely they are to essentially like you and buy from you. Yeah, absolutely. And 
I, another great tip, I guess, would be to look at your genre. You know, I mean, this applies to book covers and websites. You know, look at if you're a horror fiction, look at other horror fiction websites. This is what people are expecting from these websites. So if you're going completely out of left field and going somewhere else with it, and then people are okay, you know, this is different. They may like it, they may not like it, but you know, they expect a certain thing from different genres. So you want to try and hit those elements, even you don't want to copy someone, but you want to throw in the elements that they're putting in there. Definitely. If you could sum up how to create a great author website in just three tips, what would those three tips be? Yeah, this was probably the question I spent the longest thinking about. <laughs> <laughs> this is why we send them in advance. <laughs> <laughs> so plan it properly would be tip number one. Um, remember who your site is for. You know, as I've said it before in our interview that you may love this, but your site is not for you. And while you do want to love your site, you want to make it for those who your audience, your target audience is. And then the third, I would say, is continually tweak it because people feel that they, you know, oh, I have to have it perfect and then hit submit and then they never touch it again. So they take like three years making it perfect and then hit submit and never touch it. But a website is more of a, a living, breathing organism, I guess, where you're constantly making tweaks. You know, if something doesn't work, change it. Try something new. If people aren't responding to it, get rid of it. You know, so it's something that you're constantly going in and you're making, you know, adjustments and and tweaks and changes. So those are my three. Plan it properly. Remember who your site is for and continually tweak it. I really like that because it is an ongoing thing as well. Stuff in the industry changes all the time. There's always something new for you to play with, whether that's a WordPress WordPress plugin or just a new trend that you quite like the look of. Yeah, definitely. There was a, um, at one point you could make it snow on your website and that was super popular <laughs> yeah i love that i'm not gonna lie i did love that <laughs> yeah, i don't think i do it now but i did no, love it back then <laughs> at back then when it was popular you tried it and it was great you know i used it you know because that's what because it was new it was it was something that people are like oh wow look at that you know so try things like like you said it, new things do come out and there are new you know design elements or images or you know just general aesthetic appeal that changes throughout time. Exactly. What's one book that changed your life? I may have lied earlier. This may have been the most difficult question. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't think that there is one book that has, that I would say, oh, that just changed my life. Cause I'm more of a, I'm an avid reader, voracious. I love, I've got a goal of reading 60 books this year. Nice. And what I do is, like I'll look at different areas of my life. So leadership, I'll look at leadership and I'll read a bunch of books on leadership and I'll be like, Oh, that was, this piece was really good. And I'll take that and I'll implement it into my life. And then, you know, three books later, I'll be like, Oh, you know, this was a great thing I want to take that and I want to implement it. So there wasn't one specific book that has changed my life. So, cause I, I guess take an amalgamate and, you know, if I want to go sci-fi, with the Borg, <laughs> you assimilate, assimilate all this stuff from, from all these different books that have kind of helped and changed the way that I, I see life, the way that I interact with people, the way that I write. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, I get that because I think you can read a book that's got a really strong message, but if you're not ready to hear that message, it's not going to mean as much to you as it might in a week's time or as it would have done six months ago, for example. Yeah. Yeah, and I read, like, there are books that I read over and over, like How to Win Friends and Influence People. I've probably read that five or six times over the years. You know, and I, I find that to be, because I'm always looking to interact with people and engage with people. And you can go back to these principal things and, and you say, okay, well, how can I apply that now? Because things are a little bit different. I know a little bit more. I'm smarter. I'm, you know, friendlier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where can our listeners go if they want to find out more about you? Uh, so the best place to go is to my website, which is authoryourdream.com. I am also on Instagram, which is author underscore your underscore dream. And I am diving into Twitter. Now, if anybody has, hears my podcast, they will hear, I hate Twitter. I don't <laughs> like Twitter. 
but I'm diving into Twitter and there I'm at podcast author. Awesome. All right. Let's go show them how good Twitter can be. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for joining us. This has been a really interesting and useful chat. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. If you enjoy The Writer's Mindset, we'd be really grateful if you could leave us a rating and review on the podcast platform of your choice. And on YouTube, make sure you like and subscribe. All this really helps other writers find us so that we can help them achieve their wildest writing goals too. And don't forget, if you'd like early access to episodes and bonus content, such as what most authors get wrong when it comes to email marketing, creating the perfect intro for your novel, and an insight into outlining, come and join us over on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash writers mindset. We've got big things planned and can only do them with your support. Every little bit helps us to help you more, whether it's a rating, review, or becoming a patron. See you next time. Keep writing.